Welcome to Episode 8 of Harvest Recruitment Seeds for Success show. Today we talk to Craig Bitterscombe, who's come from a leading teams background and an expert in corporate culture. Can't wait for this one. Welcome to Harvest Recruitment Seeds for Success show, where successful managers and experts share their insights to help you recruit and retain the right people in your organisation. Now here's your host, Marie Harris. I almost can't believe I've done seven episodes already and we're up to episode eight of Harvest Recruitment Seeds for Success show. My name's Marie Herreth. I am Director of Harvest Recruitment and Harvest Human Resources, and we help managers attract, select, and retain the right people in their business. And today, our show is going to be focused on corporate culture, which is such a key element of getting the recruitment piece right, because once you know your culture, everything else falls in line and you know what you're looking for in your people once you can identify and describe your culture. So we're really looking forward to hearing a little bit more from an expert in the field, Craig Bitterscombe. He's um, come from elite sports teams where they have incorporated the leading teams philosophy for achieving that culture within a sports environment, but now he applies it to companies big and small. So there's no company that can't get something from today's podcast. So I look forward to having your company. In today's episode, we're going to be covering one listener question, which is actually a little bit strange, but not uncommon, which is, what if somebody doesn't want to work for me? So that's going to be an interesting one. Also, we're going to be discussing what we've been up to, what's happening in the forum, um, some listener feedback, and again, introducing today's guests, as well as um, discussing some of our upcoming events, which we're fortunate to have our guest speaker on today's show coming up at a breakfast um, presentation uh, in a couple of weeks' time. So we're looking forward to hearing him as a sneak preview today. Um, that's Craig Bitterscombe, and then um, in a couple of weeks at a breakfast that we'll be hosting. So whether you're here on podcast world or you are able to make it to our breakfast. Yeah, that'll be fantastic as well. So that's what's on today. The question that I'm answering today, which is not an easy answer, and if there's any other um, experts out there, particularly with regards to employer branding, I think is a a good one, um, which um, covers the question of what if someone doesn't want to work for me? Now, we have a range of companies that brief us on recruitment assignments. Some are small, some are large, some are privately held family companies, some are absolute large corporate um, conglomerates and anything in between. And it's interesting because for one reason or another, there's people that are just not attracted to the company. And I guess it comes down to what the company is or perceived to be and what an individual's uh, values are. And if they're not lined up, then quite often the individual will not want to join the company. So I'll just walk through a couple of examples of where that happens. So we had a client who was a large company and they had a new division and they had certain people that they had enlisted from the larger organisation to head up the startup. So the company had a quite a dynamic growing small business unit in a large 
employer scenario. And we needed candidates that were quite dynamic and flexible, as you need to be when you're in a startup. But the management team was very, well, let's say bureaucratic um, and very confident, let's say that's the polite word to use the word. And Anyway, when our candidates were being interviewed, one of the managers um, in his interview style decided to err on perhaps more of a tough interview, which I would always recommend is never a good tactic. Um, And that person may not even perceive his interviewing technique to be tough, just thorough. Um, But for the lay candidate um, who is pursuing a role of a certain discipline, when they're getting asked a host of questions beyond their discipline, um, understanding because that manager has that discipline and cross-discipline understanding, uh, it can go actually a little bit pear-shaped. So we've had candidates that have had the tough interview and have just basically said, if that person represents the company, then I don't want to join. Situation number two is we've got a company who's gone through a transition. So many companies do have to reinvent themselves. Um, what's worked for a number of years does not work today. And so they are basically changing their direction, changing their structure. There is always some redundancy um, that does happen when these structures change as they're looking for a new breed of people and a new direction for the future. And depending on how people um, who are departing the organisation are treated, um, whether it happens rapidly, whether it has a plan and an approach to it, um, whether there's a lot of dignity in, and respect given to the departing employees, it can actually blow up in the company's face. And because the market in some industries is extremely small and people know people and if people have been let go of a company or let go from a company, should I say, and have not been treated appropriately according to their perception of what appropriate is, and we know that that also is a moving target. But if they start the rumour mill and start talking to other people, um, these people are going to form the candidates of the future uh, who may potentially have the qualities to work in this new um, structure of company and the approach that they're looking to take. But because they hear the message from another party, they are less inclined. They see it as more of a risk than a reward and they don't buy into potentially where the company is taking um its business. So um, they're more reluctant. So when they've got one opportunity, which might be currently employed and gainfully employed in a good role or a potentially risky other alternative, they're always going to go for the safe and secure bet. Also, when a company has gone through financial challenges. So for example, sales may have been quite strong in the past and year-on-year growth um, of sales and then the company is starting to diminish. Uh, And if it's a publicly listed company, all those figures are present for the public to see. And I see a number of companies who go through this transition where they were a medium enterprise and then they win a lot of projects and then they become this conglomerate 
And then they lose some projects and then some projects go a bit sour and they might have some court cases or they might have some issues that prop up. Their brand is not as strong. They don't win as many projects and they're actually on the other side of the, the bell curve. You know, they've had their time in the sun and now they've actually come off that sweet spot in their life cycle. And again, the candidate market, they're very attuned to what's happening uh, in the industry now and in their own industry, of course, in particular. And so when they see that that company's come off its high, it, unless they have a very clear um, and compelling um, discussion around what that company is looking to do to reignite itself, um, again, they'll go, well, maybe I'm better in my current company uh, and it might be a risk to move to that new company. So these are some tangible things around why potential employees will not want to join you if you've, you know, the, 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 those three scenarios are key. If you've got some um, potentially you know, tough managers that are involved in that first round interview um, and they then present the whole brand of the company to the potential incumbent. Uh, if there's a company that's going through change and if there's a company that's gone off its high, let's say, in in terms of its corporate life cycle. So there's some things that tangible things that candidates see that make it a bit more of a flight risk to potentially join the company. So what can you do about it? Um, the difficult manager who's potentially not that difficult, just probably needs some counselling and some coaching around interviews. And if if uncoachable, not that we say people are uncoachable, but potentially not involved in the first round interviews, um, because if it's a difficult skill set that you're recruiting and it's make or break it interview, you don't want someone who's going to potentially be the person that turns a great candidate off um, from wanting to start with your company. And it's just one person that can make or break it for you. Second is if you're going through restructure. If you're going through restructure, you need to be very clear on your vision for the future because you need to be able to justify why you made those changes in the first place and two, what you're doing about it to improve your situation for the future. And cast the vision forward. And we talked in our last episode of about setting the vision and being true to the vision. And that's really what an individual needs to see. It's like, yes, we've gone through this messy period. We've done the restructures. We've got some great people. And this is the future that lies before us. And they need to be absolutely compelled that you are a hundred percent behind this new growth, this vision that you have for the future. The third is when you've come off your sales high, because that can just be a snowball effect. Um, if you start to lose um, projects and contracts dry up, it's how do you get those next group? And it's almost going back to where you were before you started to gain those projects. What was the magic that was happening in your company that allowed you to gain those opportunities and do a bit of an analysis of that time because that's that's really the time that was everything was going gangbusters and how how was it so? So looking to reignite some of those elements and sure in every business there's always something that doesn't necessarily go according to plan but it's how you're going to um approach the the challenges that you faced, come back to any people who are either potentially complaining about your company and what you're doing in terms of the customer um, 
response mechanism and then what you're planning for the future and and potentially projects that you're pitching for that are exciting for the future. So um, it's a big topic, but we do find that there are a group of candidates that just don't fit with certain employers that we're recruiting for. And sometimes it's just a personality fit. You know, you've got a certain group of people in your organisation and someone of a different personality just ain't going to cut it. So don't be too put off if it's, you know, a one-off instance. But if it starts to become a theme, you do need to explore further. In our forum, it's important that you be able to find us and interact with us. Um, If you've got some thoughts you'd like to share, something you'd like to add to the discussion, a question that we can raise at our next podcast, whatever it might be, we would be happy to uh, receive your comments. So we have three main ways that you can connect with us um, or read some of our um, information that we're putting out to the community and to the public. First is our blog page at Harvest hr.com.au forward slash blog and we've got some interesting blogs um, that we've put up recently Uh, we've looked at our star candidates from the region Um, we've had a number of really strong candidates in engineering construction and conveyancing industries that are ready for their next opportunity we look at why it is so important to get to get the right people in your business and our latest blog is the realism behind negotiating your worth. You can also join us on LinkedIn at the Harvest HR group, and that's a two-way discussion dialogue, which we'd love to have your involvement. And yeah, just jump on board and yeah, you can get involved in the discussion there. On Facebook, we have a fan page, which is facebook.com forward slash Harvest HR. And there we um, list all of our upcoming events, whether they're our breakfast, our webinars, our career workshops, what we've been up to, breakfast where we're heading to ourselves, other things that we're involved with uh, in the community too, as well of as inspirational quotes because you can't have a Facebook fan page without inspirational quotes. So we'd love to see you, whether it be LinkedIn, Facebook or Blog World, um, feel free to get on and um, post some news and views. Coming up in Harvest Recruitment Events World, um, for the month of May, we have one fantastic uh, event that's approaching very quickly and that's called establishing and identifying your ideal corporate culture and we have no other than Craig Bitterscombe who is our presenter later on um, who is presenting at that breakfast so that's on at on the 15th of May. And if you'd like to book, please go to harvesthr.com.au forward slash events. Following from there, the next week, we're actually assisting um, with some careers workshops the week after. And we have our careers workshop in our Geelong office on the 20th of May. And we have our webinar for our careers workshop on the 22nd of May. Again, if you go to our events page of our website, you'll be able to um, put that um, on for some of your friends or recommend it to some of your networks if you find them in fact 
on the other side, which is looking for their next opportunity. So whether you we see you in a corporate sense um, or whether we see you or some of your connections in a job seeker sense, we'd love to see you. Sometimes when I'm running these podcast shows, I wonder because you just never know who's listening and, and you know, who's picking up the show and, um, yeah, potentially you know, hearing your words of wisdom or just words and opinions sometimes. And one of my clients, um, and great client, I have to say, he received a copy of my book. I just launched a book in March 2014. And um, he just wanted to talk to me about some of the other things I was doing. And I said, oh, I've got podcast shows. And he was heading away on holiday. And I said, oh, just upload it, download it, you know, put it on your iPhone anyway, and listen to some of the podcast shows because we are in iTunes world on our podcast. And um, he came back from holidays and said, I listened to some of your podcasts. And I was like, oh, wow. (laughs) Uh, So we are getting um, some traction there. And he said it was really good um, to listen to some of the the tips. And I think he picked up one of the ones from the the segment and series that we did for International Women's Day because there was a lady, um, Rebecca Casson, who's CEO of the Committee for Geelong, uh, who's come from the UK and now holding that role and doing an amazing role. And we interviewed her about her um, trajectory to success and how she's obviously been an achiever in her career. So that was one that we got some really good um, feedback for. And yeah, so if you are listening to the show, please um, give us your feedback um, because the more we can help managers with the piece that you find you struggle with the most, we obviously have an HR and recruitment bent to what we do, but we also do some special showcase episodes like we did for the theme International Women's Day inspiring change. So if you've got a theme, I'm happy to find the company and the person to interview to draw that theme out further. I thought it would be good just to go back into some of the history on Craig Bitterscombe, who's our next guest on our podcast show. And Craig is a former Australian rules footballer, and he played with Geelong and Richmond in the Australian Football League. He was a footballer in the 90s. I guess he debuted in 1995 um, and spent probably the next few years in um, AFL. So he started with Geelong and then traded to Richmond and stayed at Richmond um, for quite a few years and the rest of his time with Richmond was spent mostly in the reserves and and sorry, Craig, you were delisted um, at the end of 2003. But during that time, Craig actually got exposed to a movement called Leading Teams Australia. And he was really interested in uh, what that um, philosophy that was being laid down in elite sporting arenas around the leading teams and around culture um, within um, the elite sporting group. So when he finished his AFL career, he actually started um, 
working with Leading Teams Australia as a consultant and facilitator. And he spent a lot of time there uh, working with other sporting clubs, but then also starting to move into the corporate arena. Um, Now, our interview with Craig really focuses on his experience that he's had in a previous life with Leading Teams Australia, but he's now brought that experience to Crow Hallworth, um, a public practice accounting firm, who's now brought Craig in to lead their um, corporate culture consultancy division, which sits under their corporate advisory um, division. So I would just like to... um, Welcome, Craig, and thank him for joining us and sharing his pearls, which are coming up right now. Joining me today is Craig Bitterscombe, and I had the pleasure of hearing Craig last year at the Small Business Festival where he was talking about a theme called Culture Matters, and I was an attendee, and I was really intrigued by the content that Craig brought to the table, and it was really deep thinking for management, and it's things that business owners and managers don't necessarily spend a lot of time on. So now I've got Craig here with me today. So welcome, Craig. Thanks, Marie. And Craig will be shortly presenting at an upcoming breakfast that um, Harvest Human Resources is running. So our May Harvest HR breakfast briefing will have the pleasure of your company again. Now, first of all, I'm interested to know, Craig, tell me about your background and how it's led you to forge a niche in that corporate culture environment? Yeah, sure. Um, it was in the year 2000. I started as a uh, as a player at the Richmond Football Club and I was exposed to uh, probably about my sixth or seventh facilitator around team building every year. So uh, you were playing? So I was playing as yes. a player at Richmond. Uh, I had spent five years prior to that at Geelong. Uh, and as I say, every year we are exposed to some sort of team building event uh, in the pre-season. Uh, different facilitator or trainer would run those. And, and uh, in the year 2000, I was exposed to a facilitator from an organisation called Leading Teams who took us, the playing group, uh, took the playing group through a series of um, activities which were more discussion-focused, small group sort of activities designed to help us really um developing a strong awareness of what was the truth about the culture at the Richmond Football Club in the year 2000. Uh, so, And the facilitator generated a lot of discussion about what we thought was the truth about our culture and the sorts of behaviours that we perhaps had tolerated from each other for, for a period of time, particularly when we were under pressure. Uh, and then we had a conversation as a playing group of 40 players about the sort of culture that we wanted to have that would help us to perform at our best. Uh, so in the year 2000, uh, we had a pretty good season. We were really challenging each other and driving each other around the standards of behaviour within the group there. Um, we unfortunately finished ninth that season. Uh, yeah. We lost a couple of game to- games towards the end. But the following season, we went even harder with this culture stuff and really drove each other to display the behaviours that we agreed on and live our trademark, which is basically how we want it to be seen. Um, and we end up playing off in a preliminary final with basically the same group of players two years that had finished second bottom two wow. years earlier. So it was pretty uh, remarkable. Stuff. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, but the thing that um, really grabbed me on reflection, which I didn't really know it at the time, but this is, uh, you know, hindsight is a wonderful thing, but uh, the following year we actually deci- uh, there was a decision made by the club 
to uh, go have a go at running driving this culture stuff by ourselves and not use a facilitator to to help us um, and it was a reasonable decision because we were doing it well and, and we played in a preliminary final so things were going well and uh, the year 2002 um, was a season whereby we didn't perform that well and on reflection it would have been really useful to have a facilitator come and help us to have open and honest conversations mm. about are we living the behaviours that we agreed on um, and not leaving it to the coach to drive it. Uh, so um, in those years whilst I was at Richmond, I actually did some training around facilitation, got some opportunities to run some workshops with year nine girls in local um, uh, schools up in Richmond there, yeah. uh, just mainly around life skills and uh, on behalf of an organisation called Beyond Blue, so helping mm-hmm. kids understand um, you know, the impact of their behaviour on others and how to develop some resilience. Went on to run some workshops with prisoners at Port Phillip Prison, um, doing similar sorts of things, and then was Gee, really, that's a different group. Yeah, still with Beyond Blue. This was yeah, uh, yeah with with Beyond Blue, with mm-hmm. the backing of Beyond Blue, um, and then uh, got an opportunity post my AFL career to join the leading teams, which was the organisation that I was initially exposed to in the year two thousand, mm-hmm. um, and they they saw that I had some talent from as a from mm-hmm. a facilitation perspective. Uh, and whilst at leading teams, I went on to do a master's degree in business management, just to get an idea of how the corporate world works. Um, it's a big undertaking. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty solid, but yeah. really useful. But mm. it also, it also helped me to um, develop my passion and beliefs for this culture stuff mm. and the impact that that it yeah. can have. Particularly, the notion of having groups be honest with each other about whether the culture is productive or not, and what they can do to actually make the culture more productive. Uh, so um, then uh, the, for 12 years or so, I was with leading teams, helping corporate teams to develop the sort of culture that they want. And ideally, we saw a number of teams improve off the back yeah. of that. Um, Challenging and rewarding. Do you find that there's that little pain point that most organisations have to go through before they are on the, you know, yeah. like the downward slope of it's getting easier now? Yeah, and it's a brave move for, for leaders to open up a conversation with their teams around what the culture's like because often the culture will be, you know, uh, reflective of the leader's style and uh, and their passions and and motivations. And uh, so for them to then open up the conversations with the team is is, uh, is brave, um, but it will of, often be at a point where perhaps there is a bit of pain mm. within the organisation. The, the numbers, they're not hitting their numbers or the performance just yeah. isn't great. And so... Well, you don't get called in when everything's hunky-dory and... <laughs> Not that now often. Now can we do culture? Yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah, oh, you do. More you do see it more and more these days. Having said that, you, it's a proactive um, very management much so, strategy. Very much yeah. so. Yeah, you see a lot of organisations really wanting to drive a high-performing culture, which we'll get mm. to a bit later, I guess, about what a high-performing culture is. Yeah. But uh, there are a lot of leaders out there now that are quite smart when it mm. comes to um, helping their team understand what culture is and why it matters, and and helping getting get, or get, getting them on board to to help drive the standards of mm. behaviour within the within the group. So, uh, ten years ago, it was most of my work came from teams that were perhaps dysfunctional. Now, um, a lot of the work comes from leaders that mm. just really want to get on the front yeah. foot with this sort of stuff and and. Develop a culture they can be proud of. Mm. Yeah. What do you find as a manager's biggest obstacle in identifying or defining culture? Because a lot of people, it's a little bit of a misnomer. Like people are going, what's culture? What's culture? How do we define it? Is it just motherhood statements? Is it a definition of actions? 
So what do you find as a manager's biggest obstacle as they look to identify or define culture? Yeah, sure. Um, The biggest obstacle in my view would be the manager's ability to identify and articulate or explain behaviour. the uh, you know the language of values and behaviours is out there a lot. You can most textbooks um, around leadership or management these days would talk about the importance of having values and behaviours. But uh, I find that there are you know people generally um, find it quite difficult to explain a behaviour and the difference between values and behaviours. So uh, so my role a lot of ways is to help the leader and their team identify what is a behaviour. And, how, and what is the impact of counterproductive behaviours? What sort of behaviours will actually help us to perform at our best? Um, so that's one challenge. The second challenge I find that managers have is that, okay, it's great to identify the sorts of behaviours that we want to see, um, but what if someone's got a certain personality? It makes it difficult for them to, to display that behaviour. Um, that's obviously a challenge to then get that person to modify their behaviour so that it comes in line with what the team expects and that's a, that's more of a coaching mm. thing it's not so much a training um, situation you really need to coach that person around adjusting their attitude mindsets and therefore the behavior mm. that uh, spits out spits out off the back I have to divert here you've come from an elite sporting club where it's we're all teams but we're also high performing individuals mm. and I you, you see it still in AFL there's still those very prominent individuals that would have quite individual characteristics and to bring them into a leading team environment mm. would be quite a challenge. Yeah, there's no doubt. And and often uh, it's the same thing in the corporate world or any small business mm. that we've got a person that's really talented um, and uh, they, off, they may display behaviours that perhaps impact other team members' ability to do their job. Uh, and often the manager or the leader will... Uh, have to pick Forgive up them that behavior yeah that's yeah. right because they maybe bring in a fair bit of revenue to the team or mm. they uh, bring in a lot of clients and so they have some really good relationships but uh that's that that's where in my view if the team can actually identify the expectations of behavior and that person who is um you know a uh a um, extraordinary personality, for example, uh, if they're part of identifying the behaviours that we want, that would make it then a bit easier for the mm. manager to have some some conversations that perhaps need to be had mm. from mm. time to time about mm. that person's behaviour and the impact gotcha. that it has. Yeah. So how do you define culture? What have you, through the, the, the start of leading teams, mm. learnt about culture and how to define a culture? Yeah. Um, for me... One of the best definitions of culture is is what uh, what we do when we're under pressure. So mm-hmm. it's very easy to say. Yeah, we so want it's a behaviour. It's behavior. a behaviour. It's a behaviour that we see when we're under pressure. So uh, a lot of organisations have lots of systems and processes and policies in place. Uh, and you know when things are going well, we we uh, it, the culture stuff comes easy. People behave and we tend to get on okay and that sort of thing. But when the pressure comes on, so if our results aren't great or we need to hit certain timelines or targets, uh, that's when we get a really good sense of what our culture is like. So if I was going to pull it down into one sentence, it would be uh, the behaviours that you see people display when they're under pressure. Okay, that's yeah. good. And why is it important? Uh, to extend on that piece about the behaviours that you see when you're under pressure, for me, that's 
that's often those uh, critical moments that would define whether we're successful or not. So a, um, a critical moment, for example, is when a customer rings up to complain about a particular product or service. What you do in that moment will determine whether you keep that customer and uh, or whether that customer goes away dissatisfied or satisfied. So for me, that's it's really important for teams to have an understanding of what are the non-negotiable behaviours in those moments, those really important moments, um, that regardless of your gender, personality, style, personality, um, experience, qualifications, we all need to be confident that we're all going to display the right behaviours in those moments. So, mm. so I find it really so it's make or break, really. Yeah, yeah. Under pressure, the heat is on. Yep. If you're not displaying the characteristics that are true to the business, the business yep. can be losing customers and yep. you know, yep. revenue and profit and it, it carries on. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And, and uh, you know, in the, this day and age, social media is a big part of uh, how we mm. go about things. And yep. so if somebody's got an issue, they might not tell you face to face, but you'll sure see it on social media. Correct. Yep. Yeah. So 10 years ago or maybe longer, it might have been on average that people would go and tell seven other people about how bad your service was. I think it's probably multiplied now. It's not quite seven. It'd be, mm, you know, 700 that exactly. might have access yeah. to that information. Yeah. Now, over the years, so starting in this sporting club environment, you've now worked with small business, big business and other elite sporting clubs. How do you find they differ on the topic of culture? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> The, the, the subtle differences, the, I mean, if you look at the de my definition there about what you see under pressure, that will help define what your culture's like. Uh, the elite sport uh, is very visible. The behaviour is very visible. People can sit there and watch TV and they can see what you're doing. You know, you get measured every week. Um, mm, blow by blow. Blo absolutely. <laughs> minute by minute. Yeah, yep. and the commentary is quite extreme. And so... Uh, uh, whereas compared that to a corporate environment or a small business environment, you're probably not going to be measured every week. You may publicly, be publicly, yeah, you you're may under be, the radar a little bit, that's protected. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, uh, you know, in the corporate world, you get measured once a year through via a performance um, measurement system, whatever process that organisation has in place, uh, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with those, but uh, a lot of the issues come down to the fact that it's only once a year. Um, so if, uh, if corporates could learn anything from elite sport, it's about making sure that the measurements are more frequent or mm. the feedback is more frequent, particularly on the, on the behaviour and whether that's lining up with what we expect. Um, and uh, small business, uh, you know, that, that they, they often forget the performance reviews. So the corporates, entirely. <laughs> entirely. So corporates are quite rigid with their performance. You know, managers know that they have to do, do performance reviews for staff every, every 12 months, um, hopefully more than that. But in small business, it's, it's something that can easily be forgotten about and you may not have actually sat down with a mm. staff member for two or three years, you know. Um, so uh, that'll be the subtle differences. So for me, it's about getting the balance right of ongoing feedback. We don't have to do it every single week, but mm. it's a matter of sitting down you know, um, to know where everyone's at. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if we, so if you're going to take the time to help the team come up with the standards of behaviour, uh, there's no point in then coming back to it 12 months later and saying how are we going. We mm. really should get together every three or four months, as an yeah. example, and mm. check in how are we going. And mm. So really, the manager becomes or manager or team leader becomes more of a facilitator of the process and you know mm. facilitates open honest conversations mm. amongst the team about are we living what we agree yeah. so 
if, uh, if I take it back to my Richmond examples, we were doing that every week. Every mm. Monday, we'd get in a room and, and have a facilitated conversation. How are we going? Did we, mm. live, our, did we live our behaviours? Uh, whereas you don't need to do that in the yeah. corporate world, small business, it'd almost be too much. But, mm. but mm. you should still be doing it, in my view, probably between every mm. three to six months. Yeah. yeah, I've been having a few discussions around the performance review. What's your take on an optimised performance review because we have a lot of people who approach performance reviews, not just the employees, the managers as well, with foreboding. What have you seen as in your experience where companies have done it well and people are walking out more energised mm. than when they walked in? Yep. Uh, the ones that I've seen work really well is where the managers uh, pick up that role of facilitator. So and it's two way. It's, yeah, very yeah. much two way. So they'll be asking lots of questions to the to the staff member, uh, particularly questions around um, how they want to be seen. So you'll be asking the person, "Well, give us a couple of words that sum up how you want to be seen as in your role as uh, whatever it is that they're they're looking to uh, do." Um, Okay, and then asking questions about, well, what do, you, what do you feel like you need to perhaps stop doing to be seen in the way that you want to be seen? Or what do mm. you think you need to start doing? Or what do you think you, need, you do really well that is helping you be seen? Mm. So like it's that. facilitating so, self-discovery absolutely. almost. Yeah. Yep. yeah, so there's much more ownership. So if the person comes away for, in that example thinking, okay, I, w- I want to be seen like this, mm. and I've just had a really productive conversation with my manager about um, what I think I can do to be seen in that way, and I've been given some support to be able to be seen that way and all those yeah. sort of things. I think that's inspiring. Mm. No, that's yeah. good. And what are you finding are the common themes that apply to every organisation, be it a small business, big business, sporting club and anything else in between? Yep. Uh, it's interesting, the common themes, uh, it's got a lot to do with social media and uh, communication. Um, I almost... So are we, are we talking social media customer complaint feedback or social media, what the employee says about the organisation? Uh, probably more to do with the way we communicate. And I, mm. tend to, I tend to ban the word communication in the workshops mm. that I run because it's an easy out, you know. Mm. You often hear groups say, oh, it just all comes down to communication, which is true, um, but the way you behave will determine and your relationships with people will determine how you communicate with them. So, for example, um, you know, there's a, a high dependence on email, Mm. these days to get your point across but you know often email can be used as a tool to offload your responsibility to somebody else Mm. you flick an email off to them and that's almost like that's my responsibility gone it's in your court correct and cc the world that's that's right so that everyone knows that it's no longer my responsibility exactly exactly so so basically basically so that that that, that's a small business that's Mm. um that's uh football in fact Mm. i remember a story uh, I had a conversation with an assistant coach of one of the AFL teams and he said, Craig, I know what you guys are trying to do with teams. You're trying to get people to be open and honest to each other and face-to-face and that sort of thing. But, you know, if I ask a young player these days to be honest with me and I ask him face-to-face, he basically says nothing. Um, and if I try to call him to have a conversation, he won't pick up the phone. But if I text him... He responds to the text straight away. So you have to be open to the differences in mode yeah. of communication. Absolutely. So yeah. communicate, but in a you know, mode that's going to, to generate feedback. Because yeah. most people go, don't go text, don't go email, and don't go messaging on social media. But mm. sometimes it's yeah, you know, it's a new way of communicating, yeah, and we I have to adapt to it. Exactly. Mm. So, so that's you're seeing that as a common theme 
to achieve that um, common sort of commitment to the culture is is communicating it regularly yeah uh it's probably firstly having a conversation about what's okay and what do we expect and what do we want mm-hmm. um and agreeing on that uh but the common challenges that people have these days is that you know, we do have a tendency to want to communicate via email and uh, waste a hell of a lot of time trying mm-hmm. to put our points across an email whereas it may have been actually better to pick up the phone explain mm-hmm. it and then follow that up with an email yeah. To, uh, to confirm mm. uh, so that, I mean that, that does it's uh, it's the text mm. messaging it's the um, it's the Facebook groups that mm. we develop so that's all like, they're, mm. they're all good communication tools but yeah. you can't get away from the fact that actually having mm. conversations with people mm. are so much more effective and is that how it worked in the sporting clubs because you see straight after the game it's into the, the yep. room so mm. there's that that first you know dissecting of the game do do the cultural elements and the behaviours come up at that point or is it more the tactical parts of you know the game and then we dissect you know our behaviours you know during the week when we've yeah. settled down a little bit yep. or whatever yep. it might have happened depending if it was a win or a loss yeah it's probably probably more tactical yeah um depending on the extent of the loss in terms of how how fierce the coach wants to be but it's often going to be more tactical mm. and then uh, what you'll see these days particularly at the AFL level is that uh, the leaders of the group so not the coach but the player leaders will often mm. then facilitate conversations amongst the group about how did we go against our trademark or behaviours mm. or values mm. and behaviours yeah. uh, when it's a more constructive mm. non-emotional yeah. environment yeah and in the first instances again regardless of the organisation if a facilitator if a facilitator comes in, what does what role does the manager have? Do they orchestrate anything? Or be, because you really want to get the voice of the employees or the members or the you know the team to be talking. So the more involvement the manager or the coach has, yep. the less inclined they are to talk because they then subscribe in the meeting anyway yeah. to what the coach or manager says. Yep. So when you come in as the facilitator. Mm. What's, what's your process that you work through with the leaders of the company or yep. the divisional managers? What yeah. role do they play? Yep. So traditionally what I would do is is talk with the leaders first about the process that I would take the team through uh, as an example of a process that uh, you know might, you might get the team into small groups and get them to answer questions like, well, what three words do you think would best describe us as a team at the moment? Uh, what behaviours do we do really well that you think are outstanding? Uh, what behaviours perhaps do we tolerate from each other at times that, that don't help? How do we want to be as a team? All those sort of questions. But um, So I'd lead the team through that, but the managers would be a member of the team in that situation. Okay, so they're, so they're a peer. Absolutely, yeah. Mm. So, and, and the biggest challenge that I find managers have is that uh, – you know, Do you they, have to gag them? <laughs> yeah, uh, sometimes, yeah. But uh, often managers want to, they have an idea of what the sort of culture they'd like mm. um, within their business or team and and uh, and they'd often want to get up and make a PowerPoint presentation to their team about this is the sort of culture that I'd like for guys, I'd like you to buy in, you know. Um, and so, and then they would worry if they then give over give the ownership over the team to define what sort of culture they want. Mm. The, you know, the managers often worry about whether their team's going to come up with the right stuff. Mm. And so and it's like, what if they come up with the wrong stuff? And exactly. then how do we guide them to the right stuff? Exactly. But so, do you find that happens or No. So ninety five percent of the time, you know, we if you actually choose choose to trust people, they will give you the right stuff. 
um, and they won't give you things that uh, you don't want necessarily. But the the beautiful part about the leader being a participant in it is that they, they get to actually have conversations mm. with their team mm. and as part of those conversations yeah. they can exert some influence on their peers mm. as to the sort of things that they want to see. So um, it's not completely handing over responsibility to their team to define it and, and gagging them. They still get to have some input, yeah. um, but they do need to actually choose to trust that the team will come up with the right stuff. Now, I'm interested if you could um, give an example of an organisation who has implemented a corporate culture well. So it could be that totally dysfunctional organisation that was there at one point, went through the process, and now it's performance levels. And you you mentioned earlier about um, a high-performing culture. Mm, Yeah. Uh, Well, in my view, the high-performing culture is one where everybody is clear on what is the purpose of the team? So basically that is why we need to exist and why we need to make efforts to be a really good team. Uh, the second part about what I believe a high-performing team is is that everybody tends, everybody in the team has tends to have a single-mindedness about living the behaviours. So we don't just agree on behaviours and put them up on the board. We actually then have a real go at trying to live them So have, a, have to the point where we almost have a single-mindedness about it. And the third part about what I believe makes up a high-performing team is that we have relationships that are strong enough and professional enough to have open and honest uh, dialogue when required. So uh, we're clear on the purpose, we're clear on our behaviours, and we have relationships that are strong enough to cope with those Mm. open, honest conversations at times. Uh, So an example of that, um, they had an opportunity to set up our brand-new culture within the organisation but they had a lot of people that come across the Dwayne Estates, so with a lot of um, perhaps bureaucratic mindsets. Uh, so Dwayne Estates wanted a culture whereby uh, people were able to take risks and, and uh, uh, do some things that they'd never done before to try and create more sales uh, rather than being stuck in the old way is the only way. Uh, so um, there had to be some pretty honest conversations amongst the sales team to be able to get people to change their mindsets uh, and embrace change and embrace new ways of doing things and be quite entrepreneurial in the way they were going about it. Uh, the, sale, the Australian and New Zealand sales executive team was a relatively uh, uh, average team, if I could put it that way. They weren't mm. underperforming, but they weren't overperforming. They were just a team that kept going along. We uh, had some conversation. I facilitated a couple of days with them around uh, what they thought the culture was like in their executive team uh, and what they wanted to be, talking about all those entrepreneurial behaviours. But it was one thing to agree on the behaviours and put them up on the board. They then need to be honest with each other about, Mm. you know, what each person specifically needed to change to align their behaviour with what the team agreed on. And there's a lot of behavioural adaptation here. If someone's been in part of a a big corporate structure, process, protocol, Mm. approvals, hierarchy upon hierarchy, Mm. that's a lot of behavioural traits that have to be, like, Dis- disassembled from yeah. you know we, we come into a learned environment so yep. did some people struggle with that oh there's no doubt yeah some people struggled uh, for, as an example a lot of organizations like this uh, have to go through lots of systems and processes and adhere to certain policies to make a decision uh, so if they were going to develop a new product the decision making chain was quite large mm. and so within this new wine estates um Culture, they really wanted to have a, a, an agile culture where people could make decisions yep. uh, quickly yep. um, if they saw an opportunity in the and market. Instead of 10 different 
you know, pillars to go through three. Yeah, correct. Mm. Yeah. So a lot of the feedback that people were getting uh, from their peers was around, we need you to be brave mm. and, and uh, back yourself call. in yeah. and make the call. We'll support you. Um, but please don't use your uh, experience and, uh, you know, what you, where you've come from as an excuse. We really want you to mm. have a go at living mm. the new the new behaviours because that's the sort of culture that we want. And if we don't live it as leaders, we can't expect our staff Mm. to embrace the new ways of going about it. And how's the company going now? Uh, yeah, so the executive team there, uh, they had they shed over the course of about 12 months, uh, they exceeded their budget. I can't remember the exact figure, but one of the most important things that happened was that not only did their ex- they exceed their budget, they actually reduced their workforce by about 20%. So they're able to maintain and exceed their, mm. their revenue with less staff. And so yeah. that meant that people were were performing individually much better, and the team, you know, the team mm. stuff was uh, was went so it's the a roof. fantastic pat on the back to go. We never thought we'd even be this organisation that we are today. Yeah. Um, because eighteen months ago we couldn't even conceive that we'd be such a different correct company. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So uh, and the salespeople now. Did they stay, the average ones? Did they change behaviours? Uh, yes, yep. absolutely. There's, there's some guys there that got some you know, relatively strong feedback around their behaviour and, and perhaps uh, some areas they need to work on to be a more effective leader and more effective team leader who really made efforts to, to adjust their behaviour. Um, and uh, you know, off the back of those, uh, you could see that staff were observing those efforts that the leaders were making and all of a sudden... They come on board with That's the direction. Right. They they mm. were much more responsive to the direction that the leaders mm. gave them. Uh, yeah. Whereas previously, the culture was uh, staff would look up at the leadership team and see that they were pretty fragmented or just an average team, and then they wouldn't respond to mm. their requests. Whereas now they're looking up at a really tight knit leadership team who were really having a go, and so the staff started to respond much more productively. And that's that that showed mm. in the numbers. That's yeah. awesome. Now, I'm thinking a lot of what you are sort of implementing applies to organisations with staff and influencing staff to own the culture and and have these standards of behaviour. But what can managers do and do you have a process that enables managers to ensure they, they are employing new team members who become or who are a cultural fit, who are entering in an organisation and are displaying those behaviours coming in. Yeah. Um, the uh, I, I enjoy hearing stories from organisations or teams where they've come up with their um, agreed values or how they want to be as a team and their behaviours and then sat down with new members of the team and inducted them in. Yeah. So typically the induction would be... Um, Taken by the HR manager or the manager or the business leader or whoever is responsible for leading that particular group or team or business. Uh, but I love hearing stories about where that whole team has sat down and inducted the new person into the standards of behaviour. For me, that works so much better than the manager sitting down mm. with them. But I also um, have heard some really good stories of where. Um, organizations or businesses have grabbed someone who they're thinking about employing them and got them to spend a day or a couple of days with that team to get to know them much Mm. more and be able to have you know the coffees um conversation coffee conversations about um where they're from and backgrounds that sort of thing and get an idea of uh, whether they fit or not yeah um 
Yeah, so we, uh, I know, uh, I've, I've been involved in teams before where we just knew that if someone, um, because of my sporting background, the people that were with had a had a uh, loved our sport, we just knew that if someone didn't really like their sport, they probably weren't going to fit. No, that, exactly, that that's team. right. Yeah. So they <laughs> not, might not have... entirely enthusiastic. I'm not yeah, sure if you're right. for us. Yeah, so they, they uh, it's, I mean. It's just a fact in mm, a lot of ways. Mm. And so they could have some of the greatest qualifications and that sort of thing, but mm. they were just going to struggle. They have passion as well. They are just going to yeah. struggle. And that dovetails really well into a form of interviewing, which is behavioural interviewing, because you're mm. going to be asking under pressure, how do you perform in this situation? Yeah. And that's going to give exactly that definition of culture. If, yeah. Are you displaying those cultural behaviours that we're yeah. seeking yeah, terrific. And I think, um, you know, for example, if, if a, if a organization or team had a non-negotiable behavior that you take responsibility, we just, we want to be known as an organization that takes responsibility. We never blame. We never make excuses for take responsibility. Well, you'd be asking questions to potential mm. staff members about times where they've made a mistake, for example. And what and happened. You, and what happened. And you'd be looking for them mm. to hopefully take responsibility rather than blame somebody else yeah. in that situation. Yeah. So you can start to mm. really tailor the questions that you ask. Yeah. That's pretty much it, Craig. What are your current projects and passions that you're working on? What What are some of the things that you've got in, in line for the future? Yeah, it's interesting. The current um, passion or project, uh, I probably shouldn't refer to it as a project, but I coach a uh, cricket club down outside of Geelong, the Barman yeah. Heads Cricket Club. I've coached them now for one season. And, uh, and is cricket part of your background as well? Were you one of those footy in winter, cricket in the summer? Yeah, I was. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So footy just took over and I just had to stop playing cricket for a while and I always wanted to go back and play cricket. But the Barman Heads community is, is uh, I uh, have always enjoyed you know, spending time down there and and uh, even though I live in Rippleside in Geelong there, it's nice to get down to the mm. to the Bowen Hills coastal town but and, and play cricket. But um, yeah, as I say, I don't really want to dis, uh, describe it as a project, but it's been really good. Uh, it's been a really good experience uh, managing volunteers. So people are volunteering mm. their time the and energy and, and yep. the parents and uh, different age levels. So I've got uh, cricketers there that are 40 years old and, uh, you know, you've got to manage their expectations and emotions and you've got kids there that are 15 years old and you've got to, you know, mm. get the mix right. And and uh, so the culture and, and agreement around the standards of behaviour is just so critical. So you're implementing it? Absolutely, oh, yeah. Okay. So but probably yeah. not as... Not as formally. Uh, formally, yeah. But uh, for me, it's, pretty much, it's probably more like a small business, I'd mm. say, that, uh, you know, Cricket's not everyone's passion, um, and if people are coming to work at a small business, it may not necessarily be their passion, but you still would like them to give a bit of extra effort yeah. when, when, when required. So your challenge as a manager is to build a culture where giving that extra effort is almost a given, mm. and that's that's where it comes down to making sure that we recruit the right people. But, but just having an idea of what are the standards of behaviour that you want and hopefully having that accepted amongst the team, mm. and that's uh, and that's part of what I do these days, just helping yeah. teams develop. Because once it's in your DNA, it's hard to go into an environment and not naturally implement it in some way, Correct. shape or form. Yeah. It's like, wouldn't it be great if we did this? And then you get people go, yeah, we've never done something like that yeah. before. Yeah. And then it just yeah. builds on itself. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. So mm. now, it's, um, now it's enjoyable. That it, uh, It's just a skill set that I've now got in my back pocket, which I also enjoy giving leaders the the, uh, or helping them with the art of facilitation. So, mm. you know, it's, a, it's a, a, a tool in your toolbox that is so useful, particularly when you, 
you know, you'd like to develop a culture within your team, uh, but you want to get ownership if you can actually facilitate a conversation with your team around culture, what it is and what sort of culture we want. I just think that's so powerful rather than telling them. Exactly. Craig, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. That was an excellent podcast um, discussion with Craig and it was a nice little preview to his breakfast that he'll be presenting and facilitating at coming up um, on the 15th of May. Um, But what did I get out of that? Um, I found Craig's definition of culture interesting and I shared his definition actually at a breakfast that I hosted last month and people went hmm really and that culture is defined as the behaviors we demonstrate when under pressure Um, because we can have a certain corporate culture and a corporate line and when everything's rosy very easy to display the right characteristics but when the chips are down when the pressure's on how do we perform then? So I thought that was excellent. Um, I also thought his examples he gave was, were really good as well, where he's had to come into organisations where um, they've rebranded and where there's two cultures operating um, quite separately when a company has bought another company out. And the example that he gave of um, a company changing its direction, but everyone in the company was still holding true to the same um, and similar past when they wanted to take that company in a new direction and how he came in and facilitated that change. So I I was interested to see some of the um, machinations, if you like, behind the magic of, yeah, transforming organisations because a lot of us think, you know, can it be learned? Is it a learned um, skill or is it something that people will either display and it's an attribute that they either possess or don't possess? But he shows that with some of the tools that he um, lays down that definitely things can be taught because not everyone leaves in order to, to change a company culture. People can actually move to the new way of working and the new way to approach work um, if given the right tools and resources and support to do so. We're delighted to have as our next guest, Marie Harris. Um, I say Marie Harris with emphasis because on audio, it sounds like I'm saying myself, but no, I am actually having an interview with a guest next month. Her name is Marie Harris, spelt H-A-R-R-I-S, whereas I am Marie Herreth, spelt H-E-R-A-T-H. So we're very similar in name, but different in our focus. So we're I run uh, a recruitment and HR consulting company, really strongly focused on helping managers attract, select and retain the right people in their business. Marie's core strength is empowering professionals with the soft skills to do their role well. And coming up to mid-year, we have a number of managers doing their performance reviews with their staff. So it's a fantastic topic for a mid-year process because, yeah, everyone needs to be ensuring that they do have those soft skills um, and that they can apply them in such circumstances as the performance review. So we look forward to having Marie in next month's podcast.
So today it was all about culture and what it takes to establish culture within your business. And then it plays out to the staff that you look at for your business, because one of the easiest ways to have your staff stay is actually to have culture and values alignment. Because if you're on the same page there, you're going to be on the same page on a number of different elements as well. Uh, So if you've got any queries around your corporate culture or wanting to attract staff that are going to be aligned with your corporate culture, give us a call. 1300 363 128. You have been listening to Harvest Recruitment's Seeds for Success show with Marie Harris. Want to cultivate your employment prowess? Then visit harvesthr.com.au.